Hey, I'm Allison Hare, and welcome to Culture Changers, the podcast that brings you unconventional wisdom by uncommon people. Together, we are shattering old paradigms to reshape our world and inviting you to make your own mark. In an effort to continue doing what I can to further the Black Lives Matter movement, I'm offering my podcast to share stories from the Black communities. And in today's special episode, I'm bringing Donnie Berry to you. If you don't follow Donnie Berry on the socials today, you need to. Your life is about to improve dramatically. He is freaking hilarious. Donnie is biracial, he's gay, and has a very unique point of view through all of this cultural upheaval. And we talked about the question of, if you're biracial, are you black enough to be stepping up into the Black Lives Matter movement? And how can we look at ourselves and check our own biases? I also learned what white passing means. We talked about cancel culture and how to move forward as we've reached a tipping point. I can't wait for you to hear our chat. And I know you're going to feel like you are sitting across the coffee table with him and just cutting up. But in the meantime, there's a ton of stuff going on in the Culture Changers Press Play Podcast world. And what's top of mind for me today are two things. And if you're thinking about how you can use your voice and share a message that matters, especially in this pivotal time, or if you want to break up the series and just do something fun and learn something new, something exciting, and a way to become an authority in a field where you are passionate, maybe starting a podcast is the exact right thing for you. Or if you're curious about the medium, I'm doing a free five-day podcast challenge starting this Monday. And in just five days, you'll learn how to craft your show idea, name your show, define your unique differentiator, and get the right equipment for your new show. So please go to allisonhair.com forward slash five day and sign up and the number five. <laughs> and if you are totally ready and you need to start your podcast pronto and want an experienced coach and interactive cohort to make sure your show is out of this world, go to pressplaypodcast.co, pressplaypodcasts, plural, dot co, and sign up now. Registration is open. Super excited. Okay, let's tune into my chat with Donnie Berry. All right, I think we are recording now. We are. We are here with Donnie Berry. I'm so excited to have you on and your shirt. <laughs> if you could only see y'all. I'm feeling very festive. I got some nice shirts, but I haven't been wearing them out anywhere. So I thought, why don't I put my nice shirt with a collar on since this is a festive occasion? So. It is festive. It's time to celebrate. What are we going to celebrate? <laughs> yeah, life. Life and making it through. We are. It, it yeah. has been such an insane time too. And and just to give you guys some background, so I've been following Donnie Berry on uh, on Instagram for a while, and this guy is a freaking trip. Like you have to follow him. He's so <laughs> funny, and he is. Let me see if I get all of these right because it sounds hilarious of how much you do. But uh -huh. Donnie Berry is an actor. He is a dancer. He is a nurse part time. And he is the assistant to Chrissy Metz, who is the actress from This Is Us. And uh, if that's not enough, <laughs> he, also, he also is a dance instructor. 
And yeah. Uh, yeah, just so fun. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting, so right now we're in a time we are in the midst of a pandemic. Um, I don't think the pandemic's over, but the world is acting like it is, you know? So right. we're all trying to kind of navigate that. And we're also in the midst of Black Lives Matter. And one of the things that I've done is I've offered my podcast for people to share their stories of what that means. And so Donnie had come out literally on Instagram. And literally. I'm like, he's not out yet. And <laughs> he's not out already, but you know, you kind of proclaim that I'm I'm half black and I'm gay and full gay, a hundred percent. Right. You know? And uh and and I've kind of taken this step to you know, to really show your full self and full support of the Black Lives Matter. We are in Pride Month um, for the LGBTQ community. And uh, and I thought it was just such a, a vulnerable and beautiful um, <clears throat> admission and, and a proud confession. And uh, when I, I was really shocked to realize that it had not, you had not come out publicly before. And I said, Donnie, you should come on my podcast, you know, and share your story. So, so we're here. And you said, yes, I'd love to. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I think it's, I appreciate you having me and even asking me to, to come on and, and speak my truth. And um, yeah, it's been a journey to say the least. Um, I, uh, you know, when all of this spotlight started getting put on Black Lives Matter, I, I, really started to think like, oh, there are some things that I've noticed in the news and the media that uh, I never paid attention to, or I didn't want to research more, or I didn't want to be vocal about. And um, when I started to see everyone else sort of, sort of, you know, jump on the Black Lives Matter train and start to post about it, I thought, okay, yeah, you know, I'm half black. Yeah, sure, sure. The stuff is making sense. Everyone else is posting about it. I'll start posting about it too. Um, <laughs> not realizing that like there was somewhat of a disconnect there. And yeah. um, and then in I saw someone post that it was Pride Month on Instagram. And I thought, oh, like I'm gay. I should make a post about Pride Month too. <laughs> and then all of a sudden this voice came up that was like, oh no, honey, that is not our jurisdiction. We are not talking about that. We don't do that. And then it hit me like, okay, this voice seems to pop up frequently what, where is this coming from? Because I am half black and I don't want to post about these issues that are clearly becoming more and more evident in the black community. And I'm gay, but I don't want to talk about the fact that it is pride month and it's a celebration of, you know, the LGBTQ plus community. And um, what I realized in sitting with that voice for a few days was that I have a lot of insecurities and a lot of um, issues around being half black and um and gay um and i thought wait what like you know um i go to lots of lots of therapy lots of trauma therapy i'm also in 12 steps so i like to think that i spend a lot of time looking at myself um and these are sort of like observations i made in therapy or you know through my through my work in recovery but it didn't take it took this happening with all of the spotlight on Black Lives Matter and just, you know, systemic racism for me to really look inward and, and think, okay, wait, like I'm in some ways part of the problem because I'm still so uncomfortable with myself. Wow. Um, you know what's wild about that too? I was reading an article earlier today about uh, people who are biracial in Black mm -hmm. Lives Matter. And there was this quote of people that are asking themselves, I have to read it. Am I black enough to be stepping up in the Black Lives Matter movement? Yeah. Is that what it feels like? Yeah, absolutely. You know, 
know, it's I, so when I started to have like this epiphany, I'm like, okay, I, I need to say something. But then I was immediately overwhelmed with like, oh no, like you are not black enough. You are not allowed to jump in this fight. You know, I saw somebody post online, something along the lines of, you know, um, if you are white or if you are white passing, then you have an obligation to stand up and say something. What is and white I was like, passing? Oh. What is white, white passing? Well, white passing I've experienced in, in my life is where like, oh, you are half black? I had no idea. Well, you don't count because you, you don't look Wow. It. Um, it's like the and, microaggressions too. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I've, I've been sitting with a lot, a lot of stuff has come to the surface. A lot of traumas and a lot of experiences I had as a biracial man have started coming to the surface. You know, I've, I've had, I've been at both ends of the spectrum. I mean, I grew up in North central Florida, pretty conservative, um, how every time I'm like, oh, I'm from Florida. They're like, I love Miami. I'm like, oh no, honey, I'm from the country. I'm from the country. <laughs> it is, you know, practically Georgia. Um, but you know, I, dad is black. My mom is white. I was raised by my, uh, my mom. My dad had a lot of issues with substance abuse. So he was never really present in my life. He was in and out of prison. And so I was raised by the white side of my family and growing up. But the narrative looking back at the time was, uh, at least amongst sort of my immediate family was, oh, well, your dad, he's a drug addict. And also sort of things would get slipped in about, you know, his ethnicity, him being black and sort mm -hmm. of slating it as, well, he's all of these things because he's black. Um, these were things, of course, as a kid, I didn't sort of realize I was internalizing, but um, there were lots of experiences where I got called like a cracker by the, by the black kids. Mm. I got called the N word by the white kids. Mm. Um, you know, growing up, I had a lot of experiences where you know, black people didn't necessarily treat me differently when I told them I was half white, but I definitely had a lot of white people treat me differently when I revealed to them that I was half black. And that would either range from, oh, really? Like, hmm, I had no idea. Uh, wow, you don't look it. So, hmm, sort of a dismissive, like, oh, yeah. because I can't tell it's okay. Or the other end of the spectrum would be, oh, you're half black. And then they would stop talking to me altogether. I remember... One time I had a, a, a crush on this girl I worked with and um, like we were talking about, I was talking, I was close with her parents and I was talking about dating her and, you know, would they let me date her? And somehow, you know, race got brought up and I was like, well, I am half black. So, and they were like, no, no, you're not. I'm like, no, I, I, I really am. They were like, are you really? And I said, yeah. And they were like, well, I mean, you don't look it. So you know, it would be fine. I'm like, wow, well, hold on a second. Do you mean that like, if I was the same old Donnie, but just a few shades darker, you wouldn't let me date your daughter. And they said, no, but it, it, that doesn't matter. You don't have to worry about that. Cause you're not. Oh, um, like, that's like 50 levels of oppression. On yeah. Eyes, you know? Yeah. So all of these things. And I also remember too, I, I just had a conversation with a, a close family member about this, but Around the time in middle school age, I went to uh, Howard Middle School, go Bulls. And um, it was, it had a, a high black demographic. I mean, predominantly black. And I remember that is when I sort of like started leaning into my black culture and I had a lot more black friends and I was part of the step club and I joined the gospel choir. I made good friends with this, uh, who is now one of my best friends, Raven. And we were in a class together and I sat right behind her and I'm like, um, are you mixed? And she's like, yeah, are you mixed? I'm like, yeah. So we're like, uh, instant besties. <laughs> um, and so I remember going home and, and telling my, one of my family members that like, oh, I have this new friend and her name's Raven and she's mixed just like me. So she's my sister. And this family member was like, no, they're not your sister. And I'm like, 
well, yeah, she is because we're both mixed. And they're like, no, she's not your sister. She didn't come out of your mom's vagina. That's wild. And it was so sort you're, of. You're like being made to feel like you aren't supposed to fit in anywhere. That's yeah. Wild. Yeah. And, and for me, I always felt at least that, you know, amongst this sort of demographic of my family, that me being half black was a problem. You know, again, you have it wasn't brothers always, and sisters that were. I don't. Yeah. No, oh, only no. child. Well, I, wow. I do have some half um, yeah. siblings from my dad's side who I've recently sort of reconnected with and yeah. have been cultivating relationships with, but they are all black. Yeah. All of this stuff is sort of coming to the surface for me during this time. And I'm like, wait a second. Am I, do I get to jump in on this fight? You know, do I get to share my experiences? Do I get to um, contribute to the conversation because I am white passing or I, I was sort of like flooded with this, with this sense of, um, guilt almost that I wasn't black enough and, and sort of just brought up traumas for my whole life. Having always felt that experience of not belonging to either side, not being sort of worthy or allowed to. And funny enough, I, I actually reached out to like a few of my mixed friends and I'm like, how are you guys feeling? Because I'm really feeling some type of way. And like, I don't know what to say. And a lot of them were like, me too. I don't know what to say. And one of my friends, Devin Way, he actually posted a, like a 10 minute Instagram video like the same day I was having these thoughts and feelings and he was saying the same thing, sort of like, you know, he grew up with his white side in Texas and his experiences and his feelings that were coming up for him during this time. So yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I'm wondering, you know, when high school is such an incredible time, right? Like you Mm -hmm. are really learning, you're trying to figure out where you fit in, how you're feeling, your body is changing. You have the whole- Did you feel like you gravitated toward a certain group, whether it it was the theater group or the black group or the athletes or whatever? Like, did you feel like you were wanting to be part of a certain group? And has that carried over into your adulthood? Yeah, you know, I, well, around my, so actually the last year I went to school was just my ninth grade year. Around that time, I started getting into acting and I was going back and forth between LA and Florida. And so I ended up getting my GED because- you know, when you're 16 or 17, they're going to just hire someone that's 18 to play 15, 16, 17 versus an actual 15 year old. So um, I got my GED around that time. But I remember in like my middle school years, I started having like weight issues. Also, you know, I started really becoming conscious of my sexuality. And I was getting bullied a lot for for being overweight, I was getting bullied for, you know, being gay. And um, so I sort of reclused from everyone. And I really I mean, aside from that one other mixed friend, Raven, I had actually felt most comfortable with sort of the the black community. You know, I felt like the singing that I love to do, the dancing I love to do was always sort of more supported amongst that community than sort of the white side of me at at that time. Interesting, because you break out into song at any given moment. (laughs) Yes, yes. I really have to taper down My favorite talent. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Everything sounds like a song to me. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know that I... I ever did feel part of a, a particular group. And I think that has sort of carried on into my adult years yeah. because, um, yeah, I still feel like I'm sort of finding my own community and finding my own way. And that's what this has sort of really spotlighted for me is that those same old themes that have run throughout my life that I thought were sort of resolved or that had already been addressed. And I'm like, oh no, honey, they just went dormant and they were continuing to fester and build and you know, plus being in a pandemic, I have to like sit at home with these feelings. Yes. And plus, plus being in recovery, I can't you, I can, but you know, I choose not to use substances or behaviors 
to take me out of feeling my feelings and distracting me. So does it feel I, like you are, uh, does it feel like the pull towards that, you know, those former addictions, whatever, do you feel that pull of like, shit, am I going to slide back? Well, um, yes and no. I mean, I, I belong to a plethora of 12 step fellowships. Um, so when I got <laughs> a plethora of them, honey, uh, basically I, I'm sure I qualify for all of them, but, um, you know, when I, when I got clean off of, uh, clean and sober, I went back to my original addiction, which was food. You know, my, mm. my top weight in life was 320 pounds and my, wow. my lowest weight was 170 pounds when Jeez. I went to rehab for drugs. So I've been at both ends of the weight spectrum. So, you know, I put the drugs and alcohol down and then I'm having all of these issues with food. And then I developed, uh, episodes of bulimia. So, um, so I've been getting, you know, help for that. And I found a 12 step fellowship for that. And, um, so all that to say that the drugs and alcohol aren't calling to me, but honey, when I'm at home by myself in quarantine, honey, I definitely want a snack. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the food hasn't been an issue, but I get to notice it. And I'm, I'm really noticing that, you know, certain food or food behaviors I have to stay vigilant about because yeah, feeling the feelings are uncomfortable. And with everything going on, honey, there's new stuff come to the surface. I'm like, what is this? Yeah. I'm wondering as, as people have come out in full support, not mm-hmm. just the white community, but a global community of Black Lives Matter. And you start to see people changing their, their black squares in support. Mm-hmm. You know, do you feel, how does that make you feel when you see that? Do you feel part of it? Do you feel seen? Do you feel heard? Do you feel like hope of, of yeah. this? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, you know, I, I'm currently, I live in LA, but I'm here in Nashville. Um, for work. And I went to a protest last week and I was like, so nervous and you know, what's going to happen, you know, cause all the stuff you see on TV and, right. um, but I went and it was peaceful and it was, I, it was, I think there were like somewhere between nine and 10,000 people there. And I was just so shocked. Like I did not expect that many people to be there. And it was really just beautiful to see so many people coming together and being so passionate, so passionate about you know, black lives mattering and about ending racism and, you know, that they were out there marching in order to sort of show their support. And then at one point, like it rained and people were still like, yeah, black lives matter. So that's been really beautiful because of course I've seen far more support than I have not support, especially on social media and stuff, but it has also sort of on the other side of that trudged up some more feelings because there have been people that have been close to me that haven't necessarily, I guess, been as vocal or lended the support that I would like to see them lend. And do you then feel it, like that is some kind of latent racism or do you feel like, what does that mean to you? Like, why is it important? I don't know. I, I feel like, well, that's what keeps coming up for me, especially during this time is that like nothing is no pun intended, black or white, but there's so, everything is so gray and there's mm-hmm. so many shades of gray. So I think it's a culmination of things. I, I like I like to think that I I am for the most part objective and and can sort of look at all sides of the coin, but um, I think that it stems. I think you have the people that recognize that systemic racism and and oppression is a real thing, but don't know how to be involved and are afraid to be involved and you know are afraid of being canceled for saying the wrong thing or. Um, you know, don't feel like it's, it's safe enough to just enter into a 
open and honest conversation about, well, this is what I think, and I'm afraid to say this, or this is, um, but then I also think there's people at the other end of the spectrum that are like, no, this isn't real. It, uh, racism isn't real. People just need to work harder and get out of the ghetto. And, and you know, I try to meet them with compassion and, and love, but it's very triggering for me as someone who's half black and who has experienced that growing up. So it's hard. Do you think that the sensitivity has been taken too far? Whether it's Black Lives Matter, whether it is the cancel culture, what what are your thoughts on that? The cancel culture is, uh, it's hard, you know? Like I think a big correction, even with the Me Too movement a couple of years ago, but it made a huge, huge changes where I don't know that people knew where the line was before. And now it's it's pretty etched there. Right. So what does that mean? That's the thing. I mean, I'm sort of realizing that a lot of my ideas aren't practical um, because I'm like, well, why can't it just be this? Or why can't it just be that? Why can't we all just love each other? Blah, 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 blah. I started realizing like, oh, wow, like everything is layered and complex. Like it's not just black or white, but that is my fear with the cancel culture. Their particular issues with Black Lives Matter is that they felt they couldn't even voice their concerns or their, their thoughts or their perception of things because they're afraid that they would sort of be canceled. And I started to think like, yeah, I, I feel like I do see that. You know, a lot of people are sort of afraid to open up and have a, an honest conversation because they're already on the defense about getting shut down. Of course, we as the oppressed don't want to have that conversation either because we're like, no, 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 no. If we give you an inch, you're going to take a mile and then we're going to. So I feel like everyone is sort of afraid to have those open, honest conversations about where they stand. And um, I like to think, of course, inherently, no one is racist and no one wants to see anyone suffering. But then it's like, where do you fit on that scale of then realizing, well, you do have to be sensitive about some things because you're not going to have the same experience as them. So if I discredit your sensitivity about this particular issue, then you're discrediting my sensitivity about that my issue. like a lot you know? of responsibility. <laughs> right. Know? No, of course. It's a lot. But another thing that keeps coming up for me too is like, I feel like it's hard for people to be uncomfortable and it's hard for people to have those difficult conversations. In, in me doing my own research, I mean, social media is so beautiful in the way that like so much information is able to, to, to be shared so quickly. You know, like I struggle with reading, not like I'm a good reader, but I just don't do it. And um, I'm with you there. I don't read shit. Yeah, I can barely I, get through a Facebook right. post. <laughs> I'm like, right. I'm like scrolling something else. I know. <laughs> so that's what's been so beautiful about like sort of these memes and stuff that have like yeah. come out about like what does defund the police mean? And it's like these beautiful bullet points. I'm like, okay, I can get with that. Even in seeing the bullet points on like what is covert racism and what's overt racism and, you know, what are microaggressions? And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I do that and I'm half black or I do that and I'm gay. So I don't know what that means, why it's easier for me or I'm more willing or maybe because I am part of that, both of those communities that I'm willing to say, okay, whoops, I have been doing this, my bad. What do I need to do to change this behavior moving forward? But I think that for a lot of people having to do that, having to what step one, admit there's a problem is too painful for them. So they just ignore it and act like it's not there. You know, what's interesting is that I posed a question on social media and something I've been thinking about was the actual footage, the video footage of the murder of George Floyd and Mm -hmm. Ahmaud Arbery. I mean, there's so many of them. And I personally have not, I've chosen not to watch any of it. It's, it's Mm -hmm. too painful for me. Yeah. And I asked, I, I posed a question of if, if you decided to watch it when you knew how it ended, what made you watch it? And mm. somebody had commented, 
and no judgment. I, I truly genuinely am interested. And somebody said, it was, it was a white woman said, I had to watch it because having the choice to not watch it mm. is white privilege. Right. And, you know, like if you choose to look away, that is also part of the problem and part of the racism of, of turning a blind eye. And that was, that kind of punched me in the gut a little bit. Yeah. I still have not watched it. I, I, I don't know how I could take it. And yeah. I wonder your thoughts on that. Did you watch it? I I didn't watch George Floyd's. I mean, I, I saw the clips and I, yeah. I, you know, I didn't watch the whole thing straight through. Yeah. I saw Ahmaud Arbery's. And have you seen 13th on Netflix? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. It like a week ago. Those last 30 minutes where, you know, it showed all that imagery. I mean, this is real stuff that's happened. Mm-hmm. Like we have to see it because it's real and it's happening. And that's, mm-hmm. that's sort of been the problem up until now is that we haven't been moved to change because we haven't had to see it and we haven't had to deal with it. So I think it's important. I think it's important for people to see that like, this is, this is happening. And if there was um, no video, this would not be a happening. I mean, I right. think there's, I'm so glad people watched it Yeah, and, and white people watched it because the, the amount of laws that have been changed already and right. new reforms that are being put into place have everything to do with that video and everything to do with the protests. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's another thing I was going to say too. I was, you know, talking about like cancel culture and stuff. My, one of my friends was, I think their intention is to just make sure that I'm staying as well-informed as possible, but sometimes it feels a little like, oh, well, you're rooting for the other side, which I have to always check my emotions and check like, you know, like, let's just calm down here. But they were sort of, you know, shedding light on, well, you know, you have to be careful if you are saying defund the police, you know, and, and that sort of a reckless statement. I mean, what does that even mean? It took motivation. It took saying these things to get enough people riled up in order to bring enough attention to it for the people in charge to say, okay, all right, thanks for telling us about it. We will reassess this. Okay, you are right. Thank you for bringing that up. Let's make some changes. And that, what I'm specifically referring to is the uh, LA budget, the LA city Mm -hmm. budget. Yes. And, um, you know, enough noise was made on social media about the police getting, you know, I think it was 53 or 54% of the, of the city budget that like, look, this needs to, this is unacceptable. Like, so, you know, they were urged to call the mayor, urged to call city council members and um, tell them that like this, this budget is not okay. And so I sent an email about that too. Yeah. 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 Somebody on social media was right. It was Lennon Stella, who is a 20 year old musician in Nashville. And she, She has, you know, like she did like swipe up and it automatically yes. had an email. And I was like, yes, I, be- I yeah, believe same in that. Thing. But I think yeah. it's important. I think it's important to use that platform if it's something that's important to you to, to weigh in on, you know? Yeah, and they ended up making the change. They ended up, you know, taking $150 million and mm-hmm. allocating that towards, you know, uh, communities and, and things for, um, you know, people of color, which is a great start. And I feel like sort of a great motivator to sort of like positive reinforcement that like, Mm -hmm. yeah, use your voice because it works. And again, too, like, you know, I saw this one post on social media that said like, you know, this revolution or, or this being an ally is like going to be messy. Like it's not going to be, you're, there's going to be some missteps. You're going to say the wrong thing. But I feel like if all of our intention and our hearts are in the right place. We might sort of overdo it in some areas. Right. Yeah. But it's better to get the momentum moving forward because we can always slow it down a bit versus not moving at all, which is what has happened up until yeah, now. Yeah, that's so true. And I've been doing this 
Black Lives Matter series and I was uh-huh. releasing them on Friday and call and in my head I'm thinking Black Friday and I'm like, is that racist? So I took <laughs> it off. You know what I mean? Like you I don't know if I'm gonna offend somebody. <laughs> but that's what I love. I, I love that people are even having, you know, myself included, that people are even willing and starting to take that moment of like, hmm, that pause of like, <laughs> right. is what I'm saying maybe not right, you know, because I feel like right. in the past people we were like, ah, no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't bother me, so I don't care. We have to care. Like we have to care yeah, about what we say care. and do affects other people, you know, because if the shoe was on the other foot. You know, I mean, my mom used to always say to me, like, treat people how you want to be treated and be nice to people. And I used to think like, oh, yeah, OK, mom, it's not that simple. But the older I get, I'm like, eh, it kind of is like it really kind of is that simple. You're right. That pause is everything. You, yeah, absolutely. Right. And do you feel like we have reached a tipping point? I do. I have, of course, surround myself with with people that I love and respect and that I feel love and respect me. But to see the support on social media and to see the, the protest, and that's a whole other thing, because then I posted this picture of a whole big crowd in LA and people like, but COVID is thrilled. I'm like, ooh, yeah, you're right. I do need to remember about that. And so do they. To see this many people wanting to come out in support of one another yeah. is huge. I mean, I, I've certainly never seen anything like this in my lifetime. You know, I like to think everything happens for a reason. And so I'm thinking did this COVID thing happen for a reason? Like we all, I don't know that this firestorm of enlightenment would have happened had we not have been forced to stay home and take a beat. Had we not have been forced to to see these images, had we not have been forced to start asking ourselves these questions and to sit still with ourselves and take a break from our normal routine, would this have had the same impact? I, I don't know that it would have for perspective me. Perspective too. I didn't. I, I didn't think about that. And I wonder. Black Lives Matter was formed. I think it was right after Trayvon Martin got yeah. got killed, and it was a huge movement. But mm-hmm. still, the shit keeps happening over right. and over and over again. And in this case, like Breonna Taylor and uh, and George Floyd, in a week of each other, and something just happened in Atlanta last night where a black boy got shot in the back because he fell asleep at a at a Wendy's or something in the in the in his car. Like, wasn't her harming anybody and got shot in the back three times by a cop? It keeps happening, and so yeah. I, I'm I guess I'm wondering from a tipping point perspective. We do need reform. We do need, mm-hmm. we need so much, but still you have to like unwind that mindset and will, right. will the next wave of news take people's attention off of it? Right. How, in your mind, how do you feel like we keep our foot on the gas? And I learned a, an important distinction from Ibram X. Kendi. Mm-hmm. I think he wrote the book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. So it's, mm-hmm. it's one of the most popular books and he was being interviewed and, and, they asked him the the difference between a protest and a demonstration. Mm-hmm. And a protest is when people are not spending their dollars with a business or they're not, you know, like they're not mm-hmm. frequenting something. And a demonstration is like when people are out in the streets with their signs. But yeah. protest is like an actual, I'm taking something away from you. So I thought that was a really interesting distinction too. And how can we protest more and demonstrate more? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Oh my gosh. Rambled. Yeah. Me. I mean, I ask myself the same question. So, you know, I mean, the biggest thing that I keep hearing, I, I think one of the biggest things I keep telling myself is to continue to stay open-minded and continue to be willing to listen and be willing to listen to people of, of, of color, black activists, you know, I'm following a lot of, I mean, look, my day pretty much 
revolves around social media. That's where I get a lot of my news. That's where I do a lot of my interacting, especially in quarantine. So I noticed that I had started following so many different people on social media, uh, Black Lives Matters, NAACP, the Conscious Kid, civil rights pages. And I think it's important to sort of let them take the lead and, and be there ready to support. I also think that like, for me, I mean, I know I finished watching 13th yesterday and I was like depressed. I was like laying in bed for like an hour. I'm like, oh my gosh, what do I do? Like, Lord, help me. What do I do? How do I change the world? And then I found this quote and I posted it actually on my page that um, a quote from Rumi that says something along the lines of yesterday I was clever and decided to change the world, but today I'm wise and I'm changing myself. And I think that's so yeah. important. I think that we each have to sort of look inward at, at how we're interacting with individuals on a, a daily level, sort of look inward at what our thought processes are on how we interact with people in our community. You know, the things we're teaching our children, the things we're saying on social media, the things we're supporting. You know, I had a family member, this is a can of worms, honey. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you're looking at that. So she posted a picture of, which I have to be careful on Facebook too. I got a Facebook for many years. I just recently got back on. Facebook seems to be a, a sort of a breeding ground for a lot of things I don't like to hear. So <laughs> I try to take it with a great salt. They're always from your high school. I've noticed in my world. <laughs> that <it's> like, <laughs> Where did this come what? from? What are you saying? Like, huh? So this family member posted this image of, she reposted a picture from someone else's page of a, a, a police horse that had an injury to his snout. And it was like bandaged up. And the original post of the picture said, ah, you see what these protesters and these rioters and these looters are doing. They thought it would be a great idea to throw a brick at a horse. And then it just launched this big comment about why this is so dumb and yeah. why this doesn't matter. And, and the first thought that came to my mind was, well, to my family member, why are you posting this? You felt so moved to post about this, but you haven't said anything else about the actual Americans who are being murdered, who happen to be black. And then I looked down in the comments, somebody said, oh yeah, we need to find them and hang them high. Mm-mm. And I thought, okay, oh no, 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 no. <laughs> so I like screenshotted, I circled that comment and I sent it to them. And I said, I just want you to know that when you post things like this, this is sort of the, the bigger image, the, the bigger issue that you're perpetuating in doing this. And then although it was uncomfortable, that sort of opened up a, a big dialogue for me to be very open and honest with them about, you know, how I felt. So Would you have I said that before. Would you no. have been so vocal? No. You found your voice. Yeah. yeah. And that's why it really, that's why I, I tried to jump on the, you know, momentum I felt because when I started realizing in, you know, making that post or started posting in support of, of Black Lives Matter. And, and then when I made that coming out video, I thought like, oh, wow, like this feels great. I feel empowered, but wow, I have really spent quite some time not being afraid to speak my mind and to speak up and speak out. Yeah. So I, I, I wouldn't have, it took all of this for, to help me find my voice and for me to start standing firm and, and not being afraid to speak out because I thought like, I can't be afraid anymore. Like I have to speak up because these are, I see it like once you know better, you do better. Like now yeah. that I've seen it and processed it, I'm like, oh, I, I can't not say anything moving forward. I think um, people are going to really relate to that message too. You yeah. know, I like, I know for me, I have always been in support of black people, but why would I post about it? Like, uh, uh, unless it was something obvious, like George Floyd, you know what I mean? Right. But it's like the person who's saying, well, I- I'm best friends with black people. I have a black right. person as my best. I have one Girl. person in my circle. I'm cool with the black folk. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. 
it doesn't work that way. But I also feel like this is a really great invitation for us to have open and honest conversations. At least for me, I feel so grateful to be able to ask these questions that I never wanted people to feel objectified or feel like they are othered, you know, and and if I am othering people, I'm sorry. But at the same time, I think that the sharing the stories are really how we learn. Of course. Yeah. And I think it goes back to, you know, I know I feel, I know I have most of my breakthroughs when I feel like, um, or I'm able to sort of really get open and honest when I feel like I'm in a safe space. And I try to be that way with like some of my posts and stuff. Like one of my posts, I post about microaggressions and I thought like, oh, I've been guilty of some of these like myself. And I was like, well, don't say that. And I'm like, no, I need to say that. Cause what if that helps someone else say, oh my God, thank God you said that. Me too. Same thing happened when I called up all my mixed friends and I'm like, um, are you guys having issues with this? Cause kind of ambulance, but when they're like, yes, me too. I didn't know what to say. So I think that's the thing, you know, um, we are all oftentimes more than not feeling the same way. And if we can all just be open and honest about what it is we're feeling, then that's where sort of the healing can come and, and the rebuilding can come from, I think. So I love that. It sounds like all your 12 steps or your hundred steps are working. <laughs> yes, I, I think so. It's, it's, yeah, it's really, it's really been beneficial, you know, being able to lean into those tools. And I was telling you yesterday, I wish, uh, I would love to go to 12 step. I mean, I don't have any reason to go, but I think the principles are so incredible for yeah. humanity, you know? Yeah. And it's funny too, because the deeper I get into recovery and I'm like, oh, this is a new way of life of looking inward and being introspective and, <laughs> and everyone does this, but then to sort of meet people who don't do that. I'm like, oh, right. Yeah. How do they, they go through their own thing too. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's such a great sort of blueprint for living, which I think anyone could benefit from. I agree. Well, thank you so much, Johnny. This was great. It was such a pleasure to talk of to course. you. Thank you, you so much for having great... me. And... Donnie Berry is a breath of fresh air, isn't he? I hope you clicked on my show notes already and followed him on the socials, especially TikTok and Instagram. But if not, I've linked his info right there. And as for the Culture Changers podcast, there's so much goodness going on behind the scenes, getting ready to make your experience and interaction with this brand much better for you. So please subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it. I read every word, share it with everyone you know, and sign up for the free five-day podcast challenge at allisonhair.com forward slash five-day. We start Monday. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next week.